whenever I do think about recommending things to people, I don't go into recommending things or analyzing things what might be good for somebody. It's very personal in a sense where I already, I, the first things I always ask folks, like, what was the last thing you enjoyed? What was the last thing that you're looking for? And tailor my suggestions to what you might see. Like, what themes are you looking for? What are you in particular looking to change about yourself, I guess? And welcome to the very first episode of the Adventure Tomes, or I guess episode zero, if you will. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Grant, and uh, with me on the other side of the booth, across the world through the magic of the internet, is my other co-host, uh, my, my good buddy, Paula. Hi! It's me! <laughs> it's Paula! <laughs> <laughs> the, the rumored Paula. We've heard so much about you already, right? <laughs> I know. I'm a very mysterious librarian that haunts the fandom spaces with research. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so already we have spooky vibes on episode zero. Uh, so <laughs> welcome to the inaugural uh, introduction to the Adventure Tomes and uh, what we're going to be doing here on the show. Um, so we're not reviewing anything here and not really having a specific discussion on this episode. I think our intent here was just to kind of uh, talk about our approach and what we hope to do with the podcast and uh, to hopefully give you some idea of what to expect from future episodes. Yeah, so like, first of all, who are we and why are we doing this? So, I mean, who are any of us, really? Um, oh, God. <laughs> no, so... I am uh, uh, Grant, as I said before, far too busy individual, uh, multi-podcasting, multi-writing, multi-goofballering individual and all-around <laughs> internet persona. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Like, how about this? Like, how did you and I first meet? Via the wonder of the internet through through Twitter uh, and becoming friends through Tokusatsu fandom. If I don't like, it's very hazy. There's just like. I got on Twitter, <laughs> and at some point we became friends on Twitter, and I know we had you on, uh, I think we became friends specifically through Pat. Mm -hmm. Our friend Pat. Our, our very, very good friend, who I also <laughs> co-host a podcast with, mm -hmm. uh, Super Senpai Podcast, and we interviewed you for the pod, and I know in and around there we had become friends in that space. I mean, you know, it's the internet, it's weird, right? Like, when are we like... Like, when are we besties, right? Like, I don't know when, when that <laughs> happened, but at some point in that space, we became friends and realized we shared a ton of interests, have been, I think, basically scheming something like this ever since. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I guess, like, what you want to call it? The, the through line here is I ran a Japanese superhero sci-fi news website, a tokusatsu mm -hmm. website called the Tokusatsu Network. And I founded and ran and was the editor-in-chief of that platform from 2014 to 2018. And around that time, like, I knew Grant because you were wilding out with your One Piece read-through for the very mm. first time. Mm -hmm. And that's how, at least I knew of you. You were just, like, mm. we were rolling in the same spaces on, because I was running Tokenet, so I was super active online. Mm -hmm. And when I was stepping down in 2018, that's when you did the Super Senpai, like around that time when you started Super Senpai podcast with Correct, your friend Pat. Yeah. 
Yeah, January um, that year is when we started. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Four years ago. Time is meaningless. How do- <laughs> linear, linear time keeps making a fool of us all, truly. <laughs> Seriously. And so, like, I was stepping down around the same, or, uh, from Tokenet, but we already knew of each other or followed each other mm-hmm. because I was running Tokenet. Y'all had me on uh, Super Senpai. Mm-hmm. Y'all were great. And I think, like, because of that such a great conversation, we just end up becoming internet friends. Um, Me friends. And then eventually, uh, so I, and then for me personally, I, I didn't get to tabletop RPGs until, like, 2016. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. 2017, like late 2017, 2018. And I got into it because my boyfriend broke up with me and I needed something to watch. (laughs) And I found Critical Role. Mm. (laughs) And so I was watching all of Critical Role and just like that became like my healing show because it was something Mm. I could keep on for like hours on end. Mm. As I was like, I knew I was going to step down from Tokenet. I had like broken up with my boyfriend i had all these life changes and then when you and i became friends around after i stepped down from tokenet as you and i were like getting to know each other on the internet and like messaging and stuff and i started reading one piece because Mm. you made it sound so fun and amazing (laughs) and i got into one piece and then our friend group expanded to the one piece podcast folks Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and in that space we started talking about tabletop rpgs Mm-hmm. And then you invited you had invited me to a couple of play by post games that have you know twittered in and out because we are all adults. With, yeah, as uh, as lives. games do. Yeah, <laughs> online and offline, they they come and go sometimes. Yeah, and so in that, I started learning more about RPGs because of you. Oh, and I and I have like my dear dear friends who are super like who are in the tabletop RPG world, and just quick shout out to Q Times. We are on their feed and hosting for the show. We will give them a proper shout out at the end of this. Boop, boop. We came into kind of like this like meld of like we're both super avid readers of genre fiction. Mm-hmm. You had such a like amazing, keen analytical mind for things. That's why I love your One Piece read throughs. They're like so fun to read, and now you're reviewing ed- episodes, which is also wild to me. <laughs> and so. It's wild to all of us, believe me. I'm myself <laughs> especially. I'm like, well, what's happening? <laughs> so me, I'm the librarian between the both of us, both as a vocation as a day job. Mm-hmm. And that's why I ran Tokenet for so long. I wanted to, as a profession, I recommend things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I have a master's degree in like recommending things or getting a master's <laughs> degree in re- recommending things. I'm a librarian. <laughs> Like there's things called reader's advisory and lowering modes to access has always been like a really big passion of mine. And it's really, it's interesting for me personally too, growing up as like a kid who had to take care of herself, like Mm. and take care of others. So I ended up just adapting my anxious functioning and into a career. Right. (laughs) People find out like the things that you're passionate about. Mm. and like how do you get folks to be interested in like things like like the books that you read and stuff like that but you and i like had such a shared language in the genre Mm. fiction that we both read and Mm -hmm. the analysis thereof Mm -hmm. and as i started getting into the tabletop rpg space and now oh my god we have a home game that i'm running yeah now i'm a player in your game how the quite literally how the tables have turned right (laughs) it's it's wild my again like my introduction to it is very much like what most now it's as mainstream as it is what most 
folks' introduction is like the actual play shows, specifically like things like Critical Role. We see our folks at queue times with their amazing actual play shows, all the different systems, specifically for Pathfinder. I wanted a way to kind of one, give myself and you a space to like chat about these things and to mm-hmm. chat about them in a way that gives a really cool and kind of like look at that with the lens of critique and how do you recommend this and mm. uh, yeah, just give a space for us to just nerd out about like really fun literary stuff. Absolutely. No, big agree. And that, I, that our friendship definitely sparked from a very similar overlapping sense of tastes and very similar approach to how we how we enjoy things even, right? Like even mm-hmm. with, you know, you can enjoy surface level or be deep and analytical and critical. And a lot of people enjoy doing both. And I think we both enjoy doing both. Sometimes, like with Tokusatsu, it's, sometimes it's fun just to watch a rock quarry explode. But also you can really get into the visual themes and the thematic elements and all that stuff. So that I guess the purpose of this podcast is to sort of, it is a book club. And it is us mm-hmm. having a discussion in a book club, but it's definitely both at once a genre fiction thing and a sort of tabletop gaming thing at the same time. I guess for some of my own background, uh, you're, you're relatively new to the tabletop space in mm-hmm. depth, which is, believe me, not, not at all a negative. I actually, some of the <laughs> best games I've ever run and been a part of were with people who were fresh out the grease, brand new. They'd never picked up dice before in their lives. And some of the worst game experiences I've ever had were with people who were very, very experienced at games. So it, years put in means very little to me, truthfully. Um, not to say that if you've been around for a while, you're bad, because I've been around for a really long time, as it, as it turns out. Both sort of elder millennial types, right? Ancient mm-hmm. and withered. <laughs> but uh, for myself, I guess the intersection of all this has been kind of from the get-go. Like many children of the Cold War era, I grew up on a lot of action-adventure television stuff that was out there. But reading, for me, obviously unlocked that achievement in late elementary school so you know most of us somewhere in the late elementary to early middle school era if we're sort of avid readers that's when many people become readers right you get just enough basic kind of reading ability to read on your own and to start pursuing what you would like to read and for me an incredibly formative event was that my mother went on a trip to the united kingdom she went with some of her friends uh they they kind of like a girl's like they, they all had gone to high school and college together and they would occasionally travel usually in you know, just to different states or something. But this one time they decided, what if we all went to another country? Wouldn't that be fun? And so they went and traveled there. And of course, I stayed with my grandparents that she wasn't going to take me international because I was just in elementary school. But when she came back, she brought me, obviously, some little knickknacks or whatever, but she brought me some some small uh, items she thought I would like. Apparently, while she was there, she found this little, like, hole-in-the-wall like hobby shop place that was full of all these just wondrous, like she described it, it was like, she's like, I thought it was like a model train store, but it had all these little creatures and magazines and books. And she was like, I just thought you'd really like it. So she got me a copy of White Dwarf, which for those of you listening, that is the sort of trade publication of Games Workshop, uh, and a couple of little Warhammer miniature sets. So I had a, a couple of like little elves and orcs and things like that and of course the white dwarf that she got me which uh probably won't mean anything to you paula but it was a rather (laughs) iconic issue as it turns out it was the the issue the inaugural release issue for warhammer 40,000's second edition now i don't know if this was in my mind it was it must have been the month that came out but it could have just been a back issue that they had i don't know but it was current it current ish It, it had to have been um given the time frame 
but uh, it included it was like the it was the big release for Warhammer 40,000 second edition which even though there was a first edition of Warhammer 40,000 the second edition is when it really became roughly the game that we know and like if you've seen pictures of Warhammer recently it roughly took this shape with second edition first edition was a little bit weirder right it was a little bit more mm-hmm. kind of grungy and edgy like this is when it started to become like a mass market product for children, right? And it included a little free plastic space marine in the magazine wrapping. You know, I I cracked open that magazine and I probably read it cover to cover a thousand times. I That must it, have been it, like super magic. Oh yes. It. Oh, I uh, no, 100%. It was I had never seen anything like it and I think what's really it sounds very silly to talk about now because we as you've mentioned critical role right is a mm-hmm. like a it's like a it's a cultural institution multi-million dollar kickstarters and D&D's more popular now than it's ever been yeah. you know millions are tuning in it's a it's a great time to be a hobbyist but you know at the time you know i guess and especially in a pre-internet era where you only knew really what you could see right in front of you or could see on television and anything told you on the playground was you know a, a rumor right and white door featured elements from all of Games Workshop's various properties. But seeing this immediate integration that would imprint very deeply on me, you would have these lavish, like, fiction prose stories about these, you know, wondrous worlds and all this kind of stuff and action and explosions and all these things. And this, like, just, like, immaculate art. I mean, it was to me when I was very little, but, you know, it really, really <laughs> lavish, well-done art. And then you'd have these, like, little, like, stat blocks and things of rules and things. So it's, like, this combination of art and of fiction and of gaming all integrating was a really early spark for me. And so, you know, in the same way that, say, a Dungeons and Dragons monster manual, right? You get this this big mm-hmm. professional picture, like, what is a beholder? Well, here's this fantastic creature you've never seen before, and here's all this like fiction about it, and it's like, whoa, what it can dream up alternate versions of itself. Whoa, you know, stuff you you can never imagine. And then here are these like hard mechanical arcane numbers and things to try to quantify and capture this visual and this fiction in a sort of mechanized form. And so to me, so to, to come back to the podcast, I have always been in this space of like genre fiction and art and gaming have always been mixed and I've carried that through. I've been role-playing for, for pushing 30 years at this point. Like, hey. you know, like, I, like I've been, you know, I've been wargaming, uh, you know, tabletop gaming with, you know, card games and things like that, reading the whole time. Like, to me, every time I engage with genre fiction, which I love, I'm almost immediately thinking, how could you turn this into a game? How could you tell a story with this with like players around a table or in, or in some kind of other setting? How could you mechanize it? And then when I engage with mechanics and games, I'm like, what's the narrative you could attach to this? What's the story you could attach to this? Like to me, they're like they're always like magnets. They're always pulling on each other. And like so, t- that's certainly going to be my approach here on the podcast. Like when we're talking about genre fiction, I'm almost always going to be bringing up like, okay, how would we put this in a game? How would we make that work? How could, you know, are there games that try to do this and do it successfully? Or, you know, what's important to try to capture? And then when we talk about gaming systems, which we will also do, it's going to be what kind of stories would you tell? What kind of characters could you make? You know, do you see this as a, as a, a short-term thing? Could this support really long-term play? All that kind of stuff, right? You know, there's an active element and the passive element kind of entwined. Mm-hmm. That's definitely how it is for me. Yeah, for me, it's interesting because a lot of my touchstones, I mean, have always been personal. Every time Mm. I engage with 
again, like <laughs> speaking of turning your anxious functioning into like a career and what your life gets devoted to. Um, <laughs> be again, I am a BIPOC immigrant kid, like only child, essentially mm. grew up in the 90s and which a latchkey kid. So I had to solve so many. Mm. My version of trying to understand myself was reading and researching. Mm. And it's interesting sometimes because we, again, our friends at the uh, One Piece podcast who had a fight together episode, uh, shout out to our podcast buddies. I talk about a lot of the the reason why I became a librarian and am in academia is I just spend so much time trying to find ways to, I was about to say verify, that's not right, to validate <laughs> To validate my experiences mm. in a bit in, in order for me to understand myself mm. and understand the people around me. So mm. for me, when I started picking up genre literature, I've always been like the odd kid out, even amongst like my family. I'm the American cousin. I'm not Filipino enough for my Filipino cousins. I'm mm. too Filipino for the Filipino American kids who grew up here. Mm. And I'm, you know, I'm an Asian girl. <laughs> like I'm always going to stick out. And I'm never, quote, mm. typical of anything. I've always been a hybrid of things. And so, so much of my understanding has been trying to read outside myself. And I, that's why I latch on so much in, in genre fiction, in things that are fantastical and totally outside myself. Mm. Like, I have very, one of my most core memories, and every time, like, anybody asks me why I become a librarian... It's the power of being a lonely, like bullied, BIPOC, immigrant kid going to my local tiny, tiny public library branch and going and just walking through super sad. Like I remember being very sad that day and like feeling like the spines on like the middle grade fiction section and finding this 1970s Newberry crinkled like that, that plastic crinkle book cover on a public library book mm-hmm. that like the tapes yellowing it had like it's like so much texture and memory sense memory attached to it and it's uh susan cooper's the dark is rising series mm. changed my life in terms of like what i thought was possible it introduced me to arthurian legend i like picked up dolores's book of greek myths which was mm. like captured my imagination as a kid and of course sailor moon and ronin warriors were like on in the morning so i would have these piles of like mythology and fantasy books from the library while i'm like trying to catch the last few minutes of sailor moon because i had to leave <laughs> before the sailor moon episode ended yeah so like i had to immediately put like the tape in for Sailor Moon and Ronin Warriors, because they were on so early, and I had to leave before the episode ended. Um, <laughs> and then when like the manga came out, like that blew my mind. And so mm. these were like stories that are like they were from Japan, they were from English, so like British fantasy, mm. Japanese fantasy manga allowed me to kind of like travel in the world where I was outside of myself. And uh, those stories in particular, what stood out to me was the social relationships. Sailor Moon mm-hmm. in particular, it's like I fight for my friends mm. or I, fi- I, I find my found family. Or in the case of Dark is Rising, like I, you know, seventh son of a seventh son, I am a special outsider even within my own family, but it's up to me to protect my family. So a lot mm. of those social cues stories. When I think about things like Lord of the Rings, which I didn't pick up until I was like late in high school. Mm-hmm. And even then, I still, I still haven't finished the actual trilogy, even though I read the Cimmerillion like every freaking year. 
Um, it's not. It's still really, it's really, really, really. Oh good. yeah, totally. <laughs> Just reading like a textbook history novel, but it's the social relationships and what like those strong themes, and that's the one thing that stood out to me in watching actual play shows. Like mm. specifically, I th- I think about like it's ra- it's fairly brand new, but it it attached to me quite quickly because there's so when I go into like reading genre books and fiction, I think about how the world affects the people in it and how those relationships feel grounded. Pretty like I really very much like try to see how the story becomes transformative for the characters in it and for the person who's reading it. I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons why I collect certain books because <laughs> it was so transformative for me. Mm. And whenever I do think about recommending things to people, I don't go into recommending things or analyzing things while it'd be good for somebody. It's very personal in a sense where I already, I the first things I always ask folks, and this is what you should be doing for Reader's Advisory, which is the fancy word for recommending things for library people. Like, what was the last thing you enjoyed? What was the last thing that you're looking for? And tailor my suggestions to what you might see. Like, what themes are you looking for? What are you in particular looking to change about yourself, I guess? Like, I want to go on an adventure. Mm. Who do you want to be when you come out of that adventure? How can the book that I recommend to you, how the game I ask you to play with me, get you to that goal? Mm. So for me, I always look at, I love researching the history that goes on behind that book. But what really gets me is how do I recommend this to someone that I know will change your life a little bit mm. which might be a super lofty girl probably never gonna happen but i that's it's like very <laughs> emotionally invested but i feel like that's kind of like where i'm coming from i definitely look into how, how do the mechanics of what of the game that i play or the story that i'm telling become a transformative journey as we're going through it that's what i'm looking mm. for i love i love transformative stories I do as well, but your goals are certain that that's those are lofty goals. I know there's a very lofty goal. <laughs> I guess for myself, when I'm for my context for growing up, even though I was, you know, cisette white boy from a from banjo country, uh, I, I I fit right in in that sense. Uh, the the external signifiers, right? So I didn't face uh, any of that sort of element certainly, but mm-hmm. I. I, I'll, uh, the, the rituals of life, so to speak, you know, you, you wake up, you go to work or go to school and you go to church three times a week and then, you know, you go to bed early because nothing's open and you wake up and do it all again. Uh, and if you're not into sports or hunting or fishing, there's not really much for you here. Uh, you know, it's not like a world that was inimical to me, but it was kind of dull. I was like, well, sure, like I'll, I'll go and do all the things I'm supposed to do, but I'm not really enjoying this and I'm not mentally stimulated. I want to like, yeah. I didn't despise my context. I wasn't like, oh, this is terrible, but I was just like, this is not exciting <laughs> to me. I want to read books and yeah. think about other bigger worlds. Whenever I'm looking at fiction and things like that, I, I know Warhammer was in its various incarnations. The way in which a lot of those stories were told, which was not really a consistent framework per se. Like there was always more to explain. There was always more to find out. And everything you found out raised further questions, created more mysteries and created more space Mm. to imagine and or tell stories. You know, a a classic example, right? What what are the most iconic things that say come out of Warhammer 40,000? When you say Warhammer, you probably think of space marines, right? These big space knights or whatever. They're They're the poster boys for the setting 100%. And so you start talking about like, okay, well, what are, who are these space marines? Well, they're originally, they're, they're organized into these, tw- these fighting forces called chapters and there's 20 of them. Oh, okay. Well, who are the 20, right? Okay. That sounds limiting. There's only 20. Well, 
There's 18 of them, but two of them are mysteries and lost to time. We just don't, we, we don't know who they are. Like, wait, what? And then like, okay, now, and then they have all this, like, each and every one of those other 18 have this, like, have just, just pages and pages and pages of lore and ideas. But then there's these, like, two question marks forever left imprinted in the setting and you get like an idea of what they were probably like because you, you see these like 18 completely over the top sci-fi heavy metal you know warrior cultures or something but then you're like so then what were these other two and like miss and like well, how, what do you mean they're mysteries they're like the most important thing in the setting like they're like the mickey mouse of this like how do you not know what they are but like <laughs> one of the big themes of just like decay and forgetting and like things being lost is like, it's like such a like essential part of the setting and that not only do we forget existences of these entire like units of warriors, but the technology to make all these things is long forgotten. And of course, that's pulling on stuff like Dune and all that that I would come to later in life and, and realize that's what it's pulling from. Right. This constant sense of creating cool ideas that are mm-hmm. hyper-specific and evocative that also create more from like the perspective of a fan it was like well they left those mysteries there for me the point the yes. point was never to answer them officially the point was to say what do you think there's an active element to that being an audience member there and obviously of course they wanted to, to sell me toys you know that's a part of it too <laughs> but you know the, the fiction the universe itself is full of all these little holes there's all these little gaps and there's all these possible like plausible explanations that could fit in there there's a requirement to say okay I have to engage with this and think about what the answer could be. And then every time you answer something, you open up this whole other can of, you you keep opening up new space constantly. And so I'm like that kind of approach to fiction is really evocative to me. And I think is probably also part of why I engage with certain games in a certain way. Cause like, obviously Mm -hmm. you want player agency. You want your, your players at the table to feel like they have some impact in the world, that it matters that they sat down. I have been in games they were very, we call them railroad heavy games, mm-hmm. or I also call them theme park games, <laughs> theme park rides. You, it's like everybody yes. everybody step into the campaign, please sit down, allow the bar to close over your lap, keep your hands and feet inside the, ga- the campaign at all times, no flash photography. And it's just, like, you're just sort of, <laughs> yeah, just, no, totally. you're, you're sitting still and the GM is like telling you all this stuff and you're just kind of like looking at it like, oh, well, like, that's nice. I wish I could do something. That'd be cool. Like, you know, like, I, <laughs> whereas, you know, of course the fear is if you give players complete free reign, they're just going to become fair. Get unruly, and just yeah. and just become complete goblins and just like absolutely just start causing chaos and have no direction and just you know do I have been in games where the GM was literally like what do you do and we we're like we don't we don't know like give you, us context yeah like <laughs> like what are we supposed to? like we don't know it's an imagined role so there's got to be some give and take but this this constant sense that you know you you are engaging with the fiction you push back you push on the fictional world and it will push back on you in a meaningful way and there's this kind of constant ping pong give and take between narrative and the players and like i like fiction genre fiction that i can see openings for to create you know fun stories and things like yes. that well that's what i mean about like when i when i talk about like stories being transformative mm. in that way like you see yourself in this space mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And affecting this space. When, like you and me, like every time I read something, I'm like, do I want to play in this world? Mm-hmm. Do I want to be my girl? Do I see myself in this world? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. <laughs> shame spiral side note, but oh, this no. is how all people get started. But like I do I write fan fiction <laughs> on occasion. It's fun. I was such an avid like was not good. I was like 14. <laughs> but I was such an <laughs> avid, like Sailor Moon fan fiction, Magic Knights Ray Earth fan fiction. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm going to bring it up in a later episode, so <laughs> y'all better tune in for the next one. <laughs> I say that I got into tabletop RPGs in like 2017 with Critical Role mm-hmm. and with actual other actual play shows because I completely blocked out. And I know my true start to RPGs when I was in high school, when the guy I was dating at the time invited me to play a couple of sessions mm. for, with his Riffs game. Uh, riffs. Yes, Riffs. Yeah. <laughs> and which I do, for us, I definitely want to tackle as an analysis at some point, maybe on maybe no. on this first season of this podcast. Riffs is going to be an do. episode. Whew, that's going to yeah. be one. <laughs> I have, yeah. I, girl, I have... I, I sold a lot of my Rifts collection a long time ago, but I still have a bunch of the PDFs and I pull them out on occasion. I, I got a long history with Rifts too. <laughs> I have a, I have so many things I want to talk about in terms of my history with Rifts. Because for me, it wasn't Rifts. It was the people who, who like, it was RGM mm. that really changed my perspective on what tabletop RPGs really is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll go, I'll certainly bring this story up down the road because I, like, this, it was just like this blip of my life. And what I took away from it was like, I could affect this world that we're building and we're working on it together. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like, I, like the rule, like he 100%, like RGM, <laughs> shout out to Mike. Um, <laughs> I don't know where you are. We lost contact when we were 17. <laughs> I have no idea where he is. I hope he's doing well. I hope he's good. Wherever you are, Mike. Mike Kim. You were great. I'll remember you forever. Um, but it wasn't, he like did not care. He, he couldn't give a faff mm. about correcting me or telling me what rules. He literally was like, what do you want to do? This is what's happening. Tell me what you want to do. Mm-hmm. We'll press this little button on this like super night, like super early tw- 2000s, like di- online dice roller mm. <laughs> chatting over AOL instant messenger uh, at like yeah. four in the morning. <laughs> it's that feeling like both you and I have with engaging with a, with a story, mm-hmm. whether it be a game or piece of fiction. We're like, do I want to play in this world? How can I affect this world? And I love that. Mm. I love that we're doing this. Mm, me too. Me too. So I guess the big hope then here is to explore fiction we think could potentially have, I guess, gameable elements and explore mm. games that have great stories to be told in them and hopefully along the way uh, discover a little bit about ourselves and about the things that we analyze. Um, I probably will be doing the like, oh, let's talk about the role playing. You know, like I, I have a lot of the, the background knowledge. Like we could, if we want to do a Rifts episode, we can just, we can talk for three hours about the, the system itself, let alone the games I've oh my run, God. you know. Yes. Uh, but so I think that's, that's going to be the adventure here is exploring these works, both from a kind of a new perspective and from a slightly older perspective, and also uh, both of us having a lot of uh, investment in genre fiction and in player agency, and hopefully having good outcomes for people and enjoying not just the mechanical parts, but maybe telling some great stories and changing some lives along the way. Is that too much to hope for? (laughs) We'll see when we get there. And if nothing else, you all just get to hang out with us for an hour or so. I think we're pretty cool. So yeah. I think it works. A bunch of nerds. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, that was a good episode zero. So I guess signing off and uh, we'll, we'll see you at the next one. Hi. Hi, this is Paula taking a second just to say we're a Cute Times production. Check out all the great games that make some great stories at Times. that's Q-U-E-U-E-T-I-M-E-S on YouTube and Twitch.